Welcome to another episode of the Language Lounge. I'm Michelle Ola, and in this episode, I had the opportunity to talk to the authors of the book, The Minimalist Teacher, Tammy Musiowski-Borneman and Christine Arnold. We talked about why now is the perfect time to look at how we can declutter our classrooms, our initiatives, our curriculum, and our instructional strategies and assessment in order to avoid teacher burnout and to empower teachers to focus on and on what really matters in teaching and learning. This is the first in a three-part series that focuses on how educators can use minimalist principles in world language classrooms. In the next episode, I talk with Lisa McCarg about her experience as a minimalist and how she used minimalist principles in her Spanish classroom. In the final episode of the series, I talked to Thomas Sauer about decluttering our instructional strategies and our curriculum so that we can focus in on what really matters in second language learning. Thomas also tells me about how the TELL project, the Teacher Effectiveness in Language Learning Project, is being simplified to better focus teachers' professional growth. I hope you enjoyed this series as much as I have and get some insights on how you might use some of these ideas to recapture your joy for teaching through minimalism. Thank you for listening. Here's, um, it's Michelle here. Welcome to another episode of the Language Lounge. And today I am really, really excited to have the authors of Honest, and I'm not just saying this because they're here, my new favorite book, uh, The Minimalist Teacher. And I just love this. I love everything about it. And I'm so excited to talk to you about it. So thank you, Tammy and Christine, for coming in. And you're joining me from very literally opposite ends of the world, I feel like, right? Yeah, so Tammy, why don't you start, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are, how you came about this and how you're, you know, you and Christine and uh, just tell us a little bit about where you're at. Sure. Sounds good. Thanks so much for having us, Michelle. Um, so I'm Tammy Musiowski borneman and I currently I, when I'm doing an intro, I always kind of like, where do I start with things? I'll start with the now. <laughs> um, currently, I live on the big island of Hawaii. So um, I've been here for just over a year now. It's been lovely. And um, I also am running my own business, Plan C Professional Learning Services. And, and that is um, a little company that Christine and I are running our workshops and stuff through. And um, so Christine and I wrote this book together the last couple of years. It just came out in July of last year, which we felt was really critical time um, unknowingly, right? When we started writing it, um, but we've had some really good response with it. Um, I'm also a elementary school teacher. So I still do some subbing here at a little independent school. Um, but Christine and I met uh, in Singapore when we were teaching there together at an international school. So we've known each other for a few years now despite us living in different countries for the last couple of years, or more than a couple of years now, time is flying by. Um, but yeah, so I'll stop there because I could go keep on rolling. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. All right, Christine, how about you? Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm Christine. I'm currently in, in the Netherlands. I'm working at uh, UWC Maastricht, which is an international international school here in the Netherlands. Um, but you can probably tell from my accent, I'm, I'm Australian. <laughs> so um, yeah, getting around the Great. world a little bit here. Um, and yeah, as Tammy mentioned, uh, we, we met while we were working together in Singapore and, and what started off as, as just a really good friendship. Um, we quickly realized how well we work together and we really enjoy working together. And, and um, you know, over the years that that turned into some longer form writing, which became the book. Um, so it's been it's been really great to to work with her on that and, and all of the things we've been able to do since the book came out, such as talking with yourself and <laughs> and other amazing professionals around the world. That's fantastic. I love it. Yeah. So it's like 8.30 in the morning, right, Tammy, where mm -hmm. you're at. And yeah. I'm in I'm in uh, Florida. So it's 1.30 here and it's late. It's in the evening, right, where you are, Christine. So we're like, that's right. good morning, <laughs> good e afternoon and good evening yeah. all at once, right? Yeah. Um, right. Well, thanks again. So let's start with, um, I. how do you, when people, when you hear the, when people hear the word minimalism, 
I think some there are some ideas of what that is, right? So maybe myths or misconceptions that people might have. Um, wh- why don't you start with that? Like, what are some misconceptions that people might think? For example, I think, well, I can only own six pairs of black or white pants, right? <laughs> and my closet is bare, perhaps. And so how does that apply to education or whatever it might be? So if one of you wanted to address that, like, what are some myths? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, in the last couple of years, a, a lot of the the well-known zeitgeist uh, minimalism has been things like how to only own 10 pieces of clothing and how to get rid of everything in your house and things like that. So um, I can understand and that myth, that thinking of how does this relate to being in education for sure. I know um, the, you know what they lost me, but when they, when they were restricted, how many books, what was her name? The condo oh, thing, Marie yeah, Kondo. And she said, you can only own Marie. like a couple of, I'm like, nope, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> that's never, ever going to happen. I'm out. No, <laughs> so, exactly. <laughs> that's it. That's it for sure. So, um, but I think, you know, when you really look into minimalism um, and where it came from, the roots of it, and, and, you know, looking at essentialism as well, you really start to realize that it's all about what is purposeful and what is meaningful to you in your life, which is absolutely relatable to what we're doing as educators. Um, So, you know, really pairing back the things that aren't as important, that aren't meeting our purpose, um, you know, that, that, that is definitely applicable to what we're doing every day. Can I add on to that too? Um, I think too, I I remember when the book first came out just a few months ago and one of my friends um, posted a picture on his Facebook that said he was reading it and someone in the comment put, um, it's just not possible. Like you can't, this is something we can't do. And my reaction of course was initially defense being defensive (laughs) because Hey, now, you know, you're talking about my book here, but, um, it does feel like that, right? Because when you think about all of the stuff that like, it's amazing. If you wrote down a list of all the things that we do as educators, it's just like mind blowing, right? Yeah. And anytime you've tried to bring somebody new, mentor somebody new in the profession that mm-hmm. is not as familiar, you know, brand new. I know down mm-hmm. in here in Florida, we have alternative certification teachers. Right. So they may come in with a they, speaking Spanish, but they may not have had any sort of education. And, you know, as far as educational degree, you know, pedagogy, right. things like that not only just in general education, but in our specific field as well. And you start listing all of the things that they need to know to be a highly effective teacher. And I literally right now am getting nervous and heart palpitations, right? right? There's so much. Yeah. So I can see that. So this is why I think this is so appealing, right? This is why. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions that we have is, and I think all of us do at some point, right? Because even as a sub, I'm like, oh man, I I need to do all these things with the kids today, but I also want to talk with the teacher about how this went and la la la. And you, it it's daunting, right? So to think that how do we actually pair pare down and like strip back a bunch of stuff? Like it just doesn't feel possible. But it, it's one of these things that it takes time. Like, this is not like, okay, I'm just going to willy-nilly, like, start right now, and it's going to be this magical solution. No, it's it's that's definitely not possible because you do have to understand some things about it. You have to know your direction. You have to find your purpose, all of these pieces um, to, to get to that point. So it's not something – it's really a journey. So – you know, there's no quick fix, band-aid, something. There, there's starting points, yes, and that's kind of your quick entry. But um, it definitely takes some time and some understanding. Yeah, you know, for me, and I, and I, and again, this is just not because you're here. I really was excited about this book. I put it on Facebook. I don't know, just I put it on Facebook that I'm so interested in this. And I asked my world language friends, I'm like, you know, is anybody doing this? Like, does anybody want to talk about this with me? Yeah. And my friend Alyssa, who actually she was on this podcast a, a, a couple months ago about high leverage teaching practices, Alyssa Farias. She's like, well, I don't really do it, but but I know somebody who wrote a book about it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, really? I'm reading this. Is a book I'm reading. She's like, that's the book. I'm like, oh my gosh, like seriously. So I just think it's amazing how it all came together. 
But I must say, the thing I liked the most or that I found the most beneficial of your book is because it does seem overwhelming to just think about uh, decluttering my physical space, decluttering my curriculum, decluttering all the stuff I do, all of these things, right? But really, I want to talk about that framework that you've that you two have come up with. Um, you know that it's you call it the triple P decision making framework, right? Am mm-hmm. I I got that the triple P, which first of all it's super easy uh, to remember and to implement. Yeah. You know to implement and the funnel, that concept of this funnel, because to me we can talk about this, and I can you know I can have like all the best intentions about doing this, but when it comes down to it, like where do you start? Like, how do you even start doing this when there's so many things, right? And so uh, why don't you talk just a little bit about that decision-making framework and that funnel? Because I think that is such a powerful tool that can help teachers realize, yes, I can do it. Not all at once, not all tomorrow, but I can do it. I have a way to decide and and I have a system, a process, right, of how to do it. So if you want to talk about that a little bit, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, You know, we were very, very conscious of how many acronyms there already are in education and we didn't really need to pare those down as well. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So we we were cautious about about going ahead with that. But at the same time, we thought it would be helpful for people to have something that they could remember really quickly, like the triple P. Um, So that was that was definitely um, an intentional but cautious choice there. Um, but through all of our discussions that we were having, processing all the all the different thoughts and ideas, we were thinking a lot about, you know, how do we get to the nitty gritty of, of applying some minimalism? And it really is that triple P of what is the purpose here? What are your priorities to reach that purpose? And then how can we pare down the rest of it? So we thought um, using the triple P would would give everyone something to hold on to and remember. Um, And, you know, we do talk different sections in the book about big ideas um, where you could apply minimalism, but the hope is that you can carry through the triple P into lots and lots of different facets, whether it's communicating with your parents, whether it's like, what are we talking about in our team meeting today? We can keep thinking about the triple P. Um, So that, that was really um, where we wanted to go with that. And then I'll, I'll let Tammy talk about the, the funnel. Yeah, I think um, the funnel really, well, because Christine and I kept coming back to like, what are we really getting at here, right? So we want people to think about the purpose, but, um, and to start with that big idea first, it really does whittle down right into your specifics. So we're like, you know what, this is like a funnel kind of. So um, even though we have this overarching purpose and we have a bunch of priorities, right, because it depends on what we're talking about, but there's like this different level of priority too. So you still kind of have that uh, a bigger priority. And then within that, there's there's little ones. So we thought a funnel is a good way to kind of um, work through that process of making decisions, answering questions that are appropriate for whatever we're doing. And then at the end of it, we should be able to pare down a few things here because we have really focused on what is the priority within that bigger purpose. And so that end funnel um, at the bottom there where we're, we've pared down a bunch of things really is, okay, this is the essentials here. These are the essentials. Mm-hmm. This is what we need to be able to meet our, uh, that match our priority and meet the purpose. And if you keep thinking, even if you just keep that visual in mind, that funnel, right? It's a, it's a quick, like everybody knows what a funnel is and does Mm -hmm. or looks like and, or even feels like, right? You've used it in your classroom. Um, It's a good way to just anchor back into that. So what are we really doing here? And Christine has such a powerful story from last year, like teaching in during COVID and some work that she did in her team meetings that she just kept going back to the purpose. I just remember that story. So like you told it to me like yesterday, <laughs> even though it was like a couple of years ago now, but um, just how powerful that is where when you just ask that question, like, what are we doing here? What's, what's the real purpose here? And how are we going to, how are we going to meet our priorities, but without adding all of this extra distraction and clutter around us? How do we stay yes. focused? 
I think I'm becoming slightly um, famous for annoying everyone with the, what's the purpose here? <laughs> oh, I was just going to say the same thing. Yeah. Everything, everything I do now, I'm like, okay, let's get back to the basics. And what is it we're trying to do? What is the, th- what is the purpose? Who is it for? Why are we yes. doing it? And, and I think that's why I like the framework so much because yeah. if other people know about the framework, then I'm just not the annoying one saying like, <laughs> right. what's the purpose? Like, what are our priorities? You know, we're like, let's look at the framework. Let's blame yeah. it on the fl- framework and just instead of Michelle, instead of Michelle, just asking why, 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 why all the time. Right. Yeah. That's it. That's it. But yeah, I think it, I mean, it, you you know, sometimes schools get stuck in, in a rut of like, we've always done this or this is what I did at my last school and, and that sort of thing. So I'm hoping that, you know, along with building relationships so that people feel like I'm not criticizing that it is like a, a, you know, an effective, productive conversation, um, you know, hopefully we can, we get, can get at what's the meaning and the deeper level of what we're trying to do with our students through that question of what's the purpose here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that too, um, in our, in the last chapter of the book where we're talking about advocacy for this work, um, we do, we are going to get some of that pushback, right? Because if we are kind of going out of the lane of what we used to always do, and we're introducing this semi new idea or this very pointed question, like what is, even though it's a big question, right? It's a big Mm -hmm. overarching question, but um, like, what's the point here? And that was a question I would always ask when I was teaching in New York, because New York has always got new stuff coming in, their own version of stuff. So you're learning what's coming from just in all sorts of places, new programs, new initiatives, New York City version. And then when your administrators come to you with, okay, we need to do this in this way now. My question was always, well, why? Because why do I need to do it in that way? Because we already have that, but it looks like this. So mm-hmm. now my time, my precious teaching time is getting taken from me. And because my co-teacher and I were really good at remembering like the kids in front of us, right? We didn't want to be distracted by, okay, we need this data in this form instead of the one you already have. And that happened to us a lot. And the frustration that comes with that is unnecessary. Mm-hmm. So when you're collecting data, if you know if there's a specific form you want us to use in the beginning, then give it to us in the beginning or like think about it ahead of time <laughs> because we're collecting data all the time, right? And as teachers, we need to have some autonomy in how we're doing that because it's got to serve our purpose for when we're writing reports and all of those kinds of things. But um, you have to be prepared like you, Michelle, and like Christine, and I think we've all experienced Mm -hmm. this now, like there's going to be that discomfort, like, oh, here's a new idea, a new trend, but it's really not. It's not like it dates back how many centuries, right? Right. This idea, this approach, but now we're bringing it into this maximist that we call in the book, this maximist education space that feels, it feels unreasonable and unrealistic but again, we have to advocate for it because we're talking mm-hmm. about like teachers are leaving all like every day. People are Absolutely. burnt out. There's like all of the the talk about how they're getting substitutes in classrooms right now is like heartbreaking as me, yeah. who's like someone who's chosen to be a sub. And it, it's, it's heartbreaking to see that, you know, the needs of kids are not being met because policy and like just mm-hmm. too many things, too many things. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because when you say that pushback, I think it also comes from, I'm going to speak for myself. It comes from within as well. Like I, I almost push back because me as a teacher, I was, I was always like, but to be a highly effective teacher, you have to do it all. You have to do it all, you know, and you have to, you know, implement all the stuff and do it all first and do it all. You know, there's that, like you said, that, that, what did you call it? A maximist, maximist, um, it's society, a maxim- right? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. being a minimalist in a maximist society because you yeah. do get that feeling, but that's the problem right now, right? We are we are burnt out. We are taking on too much, but I don't want to look like I'm some sort of slacker. I'm being lazy. I'm just cut. You know, again, going back to those misconceptions, right? Like yeah. if mm-hmm. I choose not to do this, 
And these are my reasons why I'm choosing not to do this, you know, um, that it's okay, <laughs> you know, that we don't have to do all the things. Like, so sometimes I think I give myself a little pushback as well. Um, yeah, I don't think you're the only one, though, I have to say. Right? Like, I mean, you know, I, we, we're having a, a like a book study group at my school at the moment looking at the book, which has been really nice to to work directly with my How lucky for them, stuff. right, to have, like, literally the person who wrote the book on it in their book study? I think that's amazing. <laughs> well, yeah, it probably would help if I remember what we wrote a little <laughs> bit more clearly. You're like, wow, that's a really great idea. I'm glad. No, no, you, you said it first. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. That's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, just this week, one of the one of the teachers is like, you know, I really agree with this, but I don't want people to think I'm being lazy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it is definitely a fear. And I think society, not just in teaching, but mm-hmm. society generally, people wear busyness like a badge of honor. Like yep. it's, it's like their identity is being busy. Um, and I think, you know, this pandemic and everything else yeah. that's going on in the world is 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 really making it um, clear to people how we need to let that go as an ideal version of working life and and what is important to us Amen. Um, in the workplace but outside of the workplace as well. Yeah, abso- absolutely. What other kind of uh, pushback do you think? Like you said, I agree. Like we need to kind of advocate for this and many for many reasons, um, but all of all of which start with the students, right? And, and that's where we you, you recenter the, the talk. Um, and that's, again, something that I really appreciated that you keep focusing on what is the purpose of this for the students? How does this benefit the pe- you know the students in my classroom, right? The choices, the deliberate choices that, that we make, um, you know, that's where we need to kind of keep going. Um, are, are there any other kind of pushback things that you've heard teachers talk about besides, you know, kind of the their own or that um, you know impression that they think uh, that it might be on on my end it's been more of a result that of a quiz that Christine and I put out last week so um, this was a quiz we put together to help people figure out where they would they should spend their or put their um, effort into for prioritizing oh great. so uh-huh. so um, What's coming up the most as a result is time waste. Yes. And so, and Christine and I were actually just talking about time um, before coming on with you. And just like, there's so many, there's so many issues with time and education in life in general, but um, how do you still, how do you get everything done within the time that you have without using too much of your own time? And there's definitely some people that I know in education. I have a a good friend who's a principal in California and she is just as hard as things are. She draws a line. She draws a line and she makes sure that her staff does the same as much as possible. And she really takes care of them. Like she is so thoughtful about showing appreciation, um, letting them know how much they're doing, how much they're appreciated. And they're the the same way back. Like that community is so um, positive, even when it's so feels impossible right now. Um, But she really is thoughtful about how her uh, professional time is spent as well as her personal time. So that she's really a person that I look to as like the model of like setting the boundary. Um, Mm -hmm. But also just it's it's easy to get caught in the the time trap the time waste trap with a lot of things and so um we've given a few little strategies in this quiz too about like just you know time chunking and and where you're focusing and Christine you were talking about the time confetti thing before and just tell me about that that sounds interesting (laughs) (laughs) interesting like yeah yeah tell about that because that's super interesting yeah I just I want to mention about the push pushback as well before I forget Mm -hmm. sure pushback and confetti just so I don't forget um just the the pushback for me I think is um you know I think sometimes people think that 
you have to be minimalist in everything straight away at the same time. Right. Um, you know, and people might look at my desk at school and go, hey, why are those piles there? Aren't you supposed to be the minimalist teacher? Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, and so, you know, there's a lot of conversation around, you know, you need to think about what's important to you and, and where you are on your journey with it and, and that sort of thing. You don't have to be minimalist in everything straight away. It right. can be what you need to do at a particular time um, you know so for me this year time is definitely my priority and all of my focus and energy is thinking about um, about not necessarily how to be more productive but just how to um, be more calm I guess in a way about about time and, and things like that so um, yeah I think that's another big area of pushback is is you know I don't know, we're, Tammy and I are supposed to be walking poster children of right. minimalism <laughs> or something, which is not true. Um, well, I think that's so true because um, I may be wasting like some in some part of my life. Like, again, I'm not of the clean desk. Like, could I be more productive if my desk was much more organized? Absolutely, I could. But my mental energy and decluttering of that may be more important right now, right? Or decluttering mm -hmm. my curriculum or my instructional strategies or my grading practices. I love, I, we want to talk about that as well, right? You know, mm -hmm. all of these different, there's so many different ways. And again, again, I'm going to get super overwhelmed if I think I have to declutter all of that like tomorrow, right? Exactly. So I love that point, Christine. I appreciate that too, that, you know, you don't have to start. Start by reading the book. Honestly, it's fantastic to just get, I feel like I'm like selling it, but it is really great to just get that seed started, starting yeah. to think about intentionally making some choices, right? And and empowering us, because that's another thing I want to talk about. But go ahead and tell us about the confetti first, because yeah. I want to hear about this. Um, I, I feel terrible, though. I can't remember um, the people who I've heard talking about it on different podcasts and so on. So I apologize to all the people, the original thinkers. The original thinkers. But, yeah. um, but, we'll just say know, it wasn't your original idea and somebody no, else let us know, all. right? Let us know on Twitter if it was your yeah. original idea so we can give you credit. <laughs> Definitely not an original idea. But um, yeah, no, I've just heard and read um, people talking about how it feels in today's world like we have less time. Mm -hmm. But actually they have looked at it and, you know, done the data and everything and said, no, actually we don't have less time now, but it's time in a different way. So we have all of these little mini bits of time that gets interrupted when our phone dings, when we got an email, when someone pops in, rather than extended periods of time. Um, and I think that's a that's an interesting way to think about it is is you know, how could you possibly reduce those distractions coming in if you need to sit down and really think about something um, in a purposeful way? Or if you do know that you are, if I'm at school, I know I'm going to be interrupted all the time. How can I write my to-do list so that when I do have a five minutes of time confetti, how can mm -hmm. I best use my time and not start writing a whole new unit plan and then go, oh, I can't believe I'm distracted again, right. you know, and get really frustrated with the whole situation. So I think that, you know, being aware of, of the idea of, of the time confetti versus time chunks, I think mm -hmm. can, could be possibly helpful um, moving forward. And, and more intentional too, because again, if I've got five minutes and I don't have a targeted list, like these are things I could do in five minutes that are productive, I'm just going to scroll my phone, find another idea on Twitter that I don't need to know because I already have a hundred ideas, right? So I don't need more ideas. I need less ideas that I can actually implement maybe. So yeah. um, I love that. So, uh, you know, kind of the two different strategies, right? Mm -hmm. and I think too, um, because that happens often, right? Where we have like a five or 10 minute chunk of time and we're like, okay, um, what should I do? We have to be realistic about what we can do in that time too. So like Christine just mm -hmm. mentioned, you're probably not going to start a unit plan as much as you might need to do that. Right. But mm -hmm. you don't want that frustration at the end of your 10 minutes to be like, oh, well, I only opened a document. Right. But um, maybe you have that kind of ongoing list nearby where you know that this is something I can do in five minutes. And maybe that is like turn on your calm app and just sit mm -hmm. and be for the minute. Right. Just take a few minutes to yourself because this culture of busy, like we don't have to fill the time like running to the photocopier, running, well, running to the bathroom is a must. Yes. Yes. But, like 
you know, it doesn't have to yes. be always that ultimate top level productivity because s- sitting t- sometimes for five minutes is going to lend itself to that later on, right? So, and it goes back to that purpose and priorities. And yeah. right now, not, you know, we've got lots of priorities. And one of them is, I think, really needs to be the well, you know, the well-being and the, you know, mm-hmm. mental maintaining physical and mental well-being for teachers right now, you know, yeah. that are in the classroom. And and again, avoiding burnout, you know, and, and part of that is intentionally using that time that you do have. And, it, and it, it, again, I think that's a really important point, you know, to make sure that, you know, you're kind of, it just means you're kind of more intentional maybe with, with yeah. that time that you're doing exactly. and really prioritizing it. I, I like that. Awesome. Um, so the other thing I, I thought was interesting um, is, so I love a good flow chart. My coworkers will tell you, like, I think a good flow chart can solve just about everything. And I'm just like, anybody that buys a book, I'm just like, look at page, I think it's 56. I think I even have it memorized at this point, 55, right? About like a decision-making uh, flow chart. And one of the things I think um, again, some of that pushback, either internal or external, of I can't do this, this is impossible, is my school is putting on this, this their priority on me, or my district is mandating this initiative, or the state is na- mandating this initiative, right? Um, and I don't think teachers always, and myself included, feel empowered and understand that we still have choices <laughs> within all of that. We always have choices of how much time, how much effort, how much resources, mental, physical, whatever, um, we put into certain things, even if the initiative is mandated, right? And so maybe you want to talk about that a little bit as well of how this, um, I think that framework and that decision making can really empower teachers as well as, you know. So yeah, tell tell us a little bit about kind of that decision making, even if you have to do something. I think, yeah, this, from different school experiences, this can feel really different depending on where you are. Um, so I spoke a bit about teaching in New York City and how we were always getting, you know, state mandates and then city mandates and, you know, like different versions of the same thing, basically. Um, but knowing that eventually I would have to do some, something that's coming out of that, even if it didn't necessarily match my pedagogical belief, um, that that's a struggle. Right. Um, but I think that when you have the good relationship with your administrator or whoever's bringing this to you, even though, you know, they're sometimes the messenger that gets shot along the way because they're just telling you what they're learning and, and you know, bringing it into the school, but it's also about an approach, right? So if you have an administrator who values this kind of approach in the school um, or in education in general, then hopefully they will already kind of picked out what it is that the teachers need to do within that. And then that's much easier for us to navigate because it's already been kind of plucked through. Other models, um, and I feel like this is something that Christine and I participated in when we were in Singapore at one of our the school we taught at, it was much more distributive leadership. So we did have a lot of teams for, um, like we were an IB school who was going through an accreditation process. So lots of people were on teams. And so teachers were making decisions about things and, and going through that kind of process. So Um, Again, it was a mandate, something we all had to go through, um, but everybody was on a team and and had a voice on some level. So I think it depends on your, a lot of the school dynamic, what type of school, um, but relationships really matter in this, right? And the value of the teacher voice. And so um, sometimes the messenger, um, that, that can be a tricky thing is how that information comes to the teacher too. Yeah. And I think, um, the other thing as well is like to give yourself time, I think, to, to think about it, reflect and process a little bit, you know, sometimes, um, you know, you're told you're going to do something 
and you immediately feel stressed or angry or overwhelmed, um, you know, and just to give yourself a bit of time, maybe talk to a trusted colleague and kind of go back and forth. Why are we doing this? What's the purpose? What are our priorities? La la la. Um, and see if you can get on board in your own way um, and think about, you know, where you want to start with, with the initiative and things like that. Um, because I think a lot of people react really quickly before they've given it a chance to, to really process and, and to reflect on, on what it might mean for their practice. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, because sometimes some initiative can come in and it can be better than what you're doing, right? And it may need to, um, but instead of adding it to something else, like you said, there might be something else that is similar that you've been doing, but maybe this new initiative is just better and needs to replace that, right? Or maybe it is something you can, you know, manage to, I guess I, to me, it's just like, we got to stop being additive all the time, <laughs> right? So we start with something and we add a little more and we add a little more and we add a little more and we add more. And pretty soon we've got this ginormic expectations of all of the things um, that have to be done. And that I think is when, you know, sometimes it's uncomfortable, not only to get the new initiative in that I, you know, either have to do or even want to do, um, but that might mean I need to let something go, right? And I need to really, again, intentionally and thoughtfully say that served me well in the past, but that is not the best practice maybe right now. And I need to replace it with somebody else or with something else, you know? So I think there's a little bit of, of all of that, right? Um, so, and I, and I and agree, we always think we have to do it now, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of times you can just say, you know, I've, I, you know, you can ask maybe your colleagues or, you know, your administrators and just say, is this something we need to implement immediately? Or mm -hmm. is it something that we can learn about first and figure out how it fits in? And, you know, sometimes we don't even give that chance, right? And that space to, to process that. Um, so I think that's a really, really great point. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, sure. So I also wanted to talk about, because I love the the book um, that you mentioned in yours, Upgrade Your Teaching. And I just did a presentation not too long ago about that book as well. Um, Matig, is it Matig or Matig? I always, I'm not really sure. It's Matai. Matai, thank yeah, you. Jay and Mattai. Willis, yeah. thank you. And I always just don't know how to pronounce his name. I always look at it and like, ah, not sure. It's a funky spelling. <laughs> right, exactly. Okay, so yeah. sorry. <laughs> um, I'm sure he's not listening. <laughs> uh, but talking about curriculum as well and, and um, decluttering curriculum. I'm a curriculum person. I love curriculum. That, that what of teaching, you know, what do we want students to be able to do? But when you look at standards and benchmarks and even just planning resources, all of the stuff, all of the programs and all of the things, it is extremely overwhelming. And I know absolutely that it, I could pare that down. And I think that's what I find the most appealing is one of the, the perks of the pandemic, um, you know, if you can dare say that is, is kind of that focus on like, what is the most essential? You know, what is it the most essential curriculum that we need to do? And, and going and again, going through that triple P process is, I think, really super helpful um, for teachers. But one of the things that that's, that you mentioned was those twin sins of planning, and that's that activity oriented planning and coverage. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about those two things and, and how this kind of decluttering or minimal, you know, minimalistic approach can help with those two things? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I think I think especially in more recent years there's there's a lot more um ways that we can look into other people's classrooms through Instagram and Twitter and things like that and I think um personally I um, totally my own opinion, I think sometimes that ends up with a focus on what looks nice. Um, rather than what is a, a deep, meaningful um, activity. Um, and, you know, I, I always think about this, bless her, she was a new teacher working with uh, young students, kindergarten sort of age, and she had organised this activity um, for number matching, so matching the numeral with the amount of dots. But the way she decided to do it was to buy a bunch of padlocks and paint the padlock so that the key was the number and the dots were on the padlock and they had to 
put the right key in the right padlock to open them. And on social media, everyone was like, you're an amazing teacher. That's so cute. That's so wonderful. And in my head, I'm going, that will probably take the kids about a minute or two. You can probably use it once in your entire year. You've spent money, you've spent time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is there not a better way that you could have used your time and your money and your effort um, to get the kids to practice that activity? And I think, um, you know, sometimes we get we get caught up in that and there possibly is a little bit more focus on it because of social media and things like that, that we get focused on what looks like a cute activity, what looks like a fun activity, but is not necessarily hitting the mark as far as uh, depth of learning for the kids, conceptual understanding for the kids and things like that. So, And you just mentioned like there was a potentially a, a a time waste there, a financial waste there, an effort, because if you're putting effort towards something, you're not putting it towards something else, right? And it's all that decision and those those choices that you make. Now, you know, you do you, everybody does their thing and that's great, yeah. you know, yeah. but I think it is very important to think about like what, you know, that, that getting the most bang for your buck, so to speak, and, and, and really working, you know, smarter and not harder for those reasons of burnout, mental health, you know, mental health, you know, kind of your, you know, time with your family, like there, you're, you know, there's payoffs for everything. Right. And so I think that's really, that's a really great point. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could talk about the curriculum coverage too, Tammy, but I'm sure you've got plenty of things to say too. Yes. <laughs> let's yes, let's settle in. <laughs> let's settle in for a nice, you know, we're going to be here a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll try to keep it pretty short. Um, but yeah, we do run into this everywhere, right? Like I have all this content to cover. I don't have time to think about anything else. I just need to get through the standards, cover it try to assess it. Maybe like, you know, it feels kind of willy nilly when you're just doing, thinking about teaching that way. Cause then you're really just teaching standards. You're not teaching children. And so when we think back to our purpose, right, what's the purpose of us being a teacher? Well, we're teaching people. So let's think about what we need to do for them and with them. So when we think about teaching skills and focusing on that, right? So we're focusing on people. And then how do we bring the content into that, those concepts that we can build in? When we think about it that way, it does alleviate a little bit of um, angst, I think, when you're trying to plan something out and trying to stick to a pacing guide or a pacing calendar, which there's plenty of value in and we need them to keep us on track. But, um, But the approach for how we use them needs to be rethought a little bit and, and kind of reconceptualized as like, as we're talking about a lot of things here, like the reconceptualization of time waste and mental waste and all of that, we really do have to think about how, how do we cover all our content, but also teach kids skills. And that's one of those ways we can do that when we focus on people more and um, think about what our content is and then kind of bucket it out right into bigger chunks and think about what our kids our interests are and tap into those things then teaching becomes more enjoyable and also a little bit less stress because they're helping drive what's happening in the classroom so um it that idea of teaching planning and teaching in that way though is not always intuitive for teachers. It can be a big stretch. And so um, rethinking of yourself is not just like the deliverer of the content, right? Because we have Google now, we can just Google stuff. But how are we engaging learners with the content and building their skills, right? So um, it does, it's, it's deep. It, mm-hmm. It's deep work. It's, it's important work, but it's priority work. Because we're talking about teaching kids skills that are going to transfer and go with them for their life as a student, as a person. And so if we think about that rather than the short term, I need to teach them about magnets. 
because that really doesn't matter in the end if you don't do all the rest of it, right? If, right. If, it, it, it won't stick, you know, as, as, as they say. It's not going to stick anyway. So now we're working extra hard, extra hard. and we're on, on something that's not in the end necessarily going to matter if yeah. we forget those students that are in front of us and making sure that it's meaningful to them, right? I think it ties into so much, um, you know, with that backwards design and that yeah. important, you know, picking those most important things um, and, and then making sure that you're on a path that is, you know, targeted <laughs> and yeah. not go all over the place with all the shiny objects, um, yeah. you know, that may be fun, but not impactful, right? For, right. for those students in front of you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm working with year four at the moment. And, um, you know, when you come up to a new unit and you're doing your pre-assessments and, and gathering data about where they are already at and things like that, you, you actually have to use that. Right. <laughs> that data. I think sometimes. I know, isn't that a novel idea? I, 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 I get, yeah. I think sometimes we kind of just go, oh, yes, I've done my pre-assessment. Now let me get to my standards. But, I mean, if you if you just jump straight to the standards and you've got kids who aren't ready to work on on that particular concept or vocabulary or whatever it is, I mean, what are we what are we doing? We're doing a mm -hmm. massive disservice to our students if if we're not actually meeting them where they are and and allowing them the growth that that, that they're ready for, you know. So um, I guess it, I mean it depends yeah. on what your idea of of what being an effective teacher is. If it is just I've taught my standards, I'm done, I'm out, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess yeah. That's one way of looking at it. But uh, hopefully, people are, are moving in more a direction of let's make these kids the best adults we can possibly make them. Yeah, I had a, a teacher I was just talking to not too long ago, and she did a pre-assessment. She's like, I actually looked at it. Like she's like she analyzed the data this time. She's like, I sometimes do them and and don't have time to look, right? And she's like, they knew half of what I was going to do. And I'm like, just think how much time you would have wasted reteaching them something that they pretty much had a good foundational understanding about and they just needed tweaking versus mm -hmm. starting from the beginning and how frustrating that is as a learner to sit there through something that you already sort of know as well, right? It's not a very yeah. respectful task. So I just yeah. thought that was fascinating. You know, and you think, oh, I'm in a hurry. I got to get my curriculum started because I have to be here and here and here and here. But if you stop <laughs> just for a minute, and yes. I think that's the hardest part I need for me as a teacher is just to stop and say, okay, you know, let's think about this and let's be intentional. And, and you know, it, it, it's not easy though. I don't think any of us were saying this is easy, right? No, no, <laughs> um, but I think not. asking those questions and getting started, I think is a huge, um, you know, a, a huge uh, milestone, <laughs> you know, something great yeah. to get started anyways. Yeah. And yeah. I think when we do spend the time to like, that's value add, right? Like time invested in the right way. Right. We're looking at what the kids are giving to us, right? In that assessment, think of all the time she just bought back exactly, to teach, yeah. to teach skills and connect with the students, tap into interests. And then she's not frustrated with potential behaviors that are happening because the kids already know that, right? Like that's another time thing that teachers deal with. Like, why am I dealing with behaviors? Because there's, there's something missing there, right? And so when you have time to then just reevaluate and maybe, again, this is like a, a planning belief and, and system that you have to get used to, but sometimes you just can't plan everything all up front. You have your ideas, like you know where you're going. You definitely know where you're going, but you have to leave some space in there to make sure that you're still meeting your priorities along the way because if you're not, then you're going to have, you've wasted that ahead of time planning. And that I know is a foreign concept for, for a lot of teachers too. It, it is hard. It's hard to kind of step back a little bit on that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's, it's beneficial just for, for teaching and for teachers, because then you're not wasting that time planning and wasting time in class because you actually didn't even need to do that. I think that's really, that's a great 
That's really important. I, I never thought of that really. But and as you pare down and you prioritize what you're doing, you will have maybe more space to be able to be responsive, you know, to those those students that are in your classroom as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and not feel like you're running from this activity, to this activity, this activity, just to get through to the end. Um, you know, being more targeted, I think, is always always going to benefit. I think it's hard. Like you said, it's a mindset. It taps into like our beliefs about teaching and, you know, a lot of, of, of things, but, um, it can be extremely, extremely valuable. So. Yeah. And what you were, what you guys were saying there about, um, you know, not necessarily knowing where it's going to go and, you know, be cautious of that with your planning. That might be a good segue into talking about the marking and grading that you mentioned. Yes, I would. I definitely <laughs> want to talk about that too. It's important, you, right? Yeah, the instructional a, strategies and assessment, I think is. That's is, it. Because if you have in your mind, like, this is how I'm going to grade. This is my rubric. This is what an A is. And then you're given a group of kids that are, completely out of the range of that in whatever way what do you do then where do you go then so I'm, I'm not sure exactly what you wanted to ask us well, I, yeah, I, know. Well, I just again I could stay here all day probably so we, we, we this could be like a four-part episode as far as I'm concerned so uh, I really so when we were talking about like the you know we've talked about like um you know, minimalization or minimalizing with your curriculum, you know, with physical stuff, with, you know, kind of your men- your processes, you know, a bunch of things, right? And, when, and you got to instructional strategies at the end, there was a chapter with instructional strategies and assessment. And one of the, I think one of the most purposeful questions that you asked, and that was your, when you were talking about assessment and you're talking about purpose and, and you said, is, is the purpose to drive instruction and ensure students are engaged with what they need to practice or is your your purpose to ensure you're reporting grading accurately so that it's a true reflection of your of achievement right those are two different purposes and i think if teachers could just like ask themselves every time like what is the purpose of this i think that can help them then put priority with, you know, effort and time on that as well. So just kind of thinking about that assessment and the different purposes of assessment and how, you know, how you can pare down based on priorities and purpose, some of those assessment strategies, because I know, I don't think there's a teacher out there that's not bringing home pie. I mean, I used to bring home a whole foldy cart worth of whatever it was, right? Portfolios, essays, great, you know, whatever it is. Now those went back and forth to my house many, 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 many times before they actually got done. Right. And, and again, right. This is universal. I think I don't think we're, you know, um, but then we can't be responsive, right? If it's not timely, if the feedback's not timely, then we're losing our educate, you know, our focus, our instructional focus. And so how do we, you know, align our purpose of our assessment and our priorities and what are some ways then that we can manage these things, including time and effort and all of that stuff um, with assessments. Because I think that's really relevant for teachers right now. I think that's a good, I think that's a a way that a lot of teachers are using time in particular um, that maybe could be better spent on deep and meaningful you know, learning activities and curriculum writing and, and making some intentional choices, not, you know, so anyways, what do you have to, what, what are your thoughts about that? So many things to say. No, I I know, I know. I'm sorry. No, no, but it's, it's all good because I, I really do. And this, this is a conversation that Christine and I had when we were writing this chapter. Do we separate instructional strategies and then a separate chapter for assessment? We're like, no, they are, they're together. They're integrated. It's, they're part of the same process. So that's why we kept the the content together. Um, the Again, it's a mindset shift, right? So like, why, what's the purpose of taking all those books home, right? And if it's just to get the grading done because you need the grades, <laughs> Which maybe you find easier ways than that, right? I mean, there's not, it's not that that's not important. That might be something you have to do, right? Yes, but maybe the approach needs to to shift and how you use your class time is different too, right? So Mm -hmm. the, the grades are for the kids. So can you plan in some of that time in your class time where you go through all of the kids' work with them and 
get their insight and talk through it and then gather some data that way. And the value in that is like, it's invaluable being able to sit with your kids and talk through, let's look at what you've just done over this last week about this stuff that we're learning. Tell me about this. What were you thinking here? Asking those questions about why they made a a decision to like do this instead of that. That to me is like true teaching, right? Like that's, that's the experience that I would hope that every teacher gets to have with their students and that every student gets to have with their teacher. Because to me, that's the purpose of education. That's why we're teaching. That's skill development, it's relationship development, it's collaboration, it's discussion and conversation. If you, if they're only getting, here's your test back, here's your notebook, read the comment all the time, what is the value in that for them and for mm-hmm. us? I think it's really lost, right? Oh, absolutely. I don't think that anybody is, you know, finding huge professional satisfaction <laughs> in bringing home <laughs> stacks of paper and entering numerous copious amounts of grades <laughs> in a grade book, right? I mean, right. let's, I, I just, I pretty, I think that's pretty safe to say. Yeah. yeah. I, I do love a spreadsheet though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm getting to know, to know them better and getting to love them yes. better. And I do see the value in them for sure. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I love it. It do, it does make me think my my colleague next door to me at school, Christy, if you're listening, this is this is for you. She she <laughs> loves the single point rubric. Yeah, loves the single point rubric, yeah. and she's always talking about yes. it and how much how useful it is. And it just every time she brings it up, it just makes me regret the amount of time I have spent in my life trying to write rubrics and vision. What I mean, you can kind of imagine a meeting expectations, but trying to sit down and think about what an exceeding is going to look like is, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got to have a crystal ball or something to be able to envision all the possibilities out there. And just the amount of time that I have have lost professionally creating these rubrics. Um, So, yes, Christy, again, thank you for the single point rubric. (laughs) I love it. And then you get, and then you spend all that time making a rubric and then you grade Mm -hmm. your first paper and you're like, yeah, this rubric's garbage. That wasn't, that wasn't accurate at all. Right. And so it's, it's a challenge. That's for sure. Oh my gosh. I love it. But, and even just thinking about, you know, paring down and do we need 15 grades in a grade book? Or are five grades that actually reflect how the student is really doing as opposed to 15 compliance grades that may not reflect what they actually know. Um, it gets to a lot of, uh, I, again, I just think it really helps me. Am I going to ever be like a Marie Kondo sort of a minimalist? No, but I know I shouldn't say no. That I'm not going to say no, maybe not. But I think it does even a little bit of letting this idea, this concept grab hold of you is Mm -hmm. powerful because if all you do is always just ask yourself, what is the purpose of this? Does this meet my priorities? And is there any way I can, you know, simplify and pare it down? If you just ask that of yourself, I feel like you're just really, um, I just feel like that's that's where we need to kind of keep going and going and going and digging and digging, you know, as as teachers. And... Mm-hmm. Definitely, absolutely. I'm it's telling you, question. I love this book. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a and it's a question. It's such a simple question, but it's so deep, right? And like I ask myself all this time, like, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Okay, if I can answer that quick, then I'm on the right track. If I can't, yes. then I'm like, what? Well, okay, then never mind. The, it's not serving my purpose here. So let it go. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. So what I, we kind of talked about oh, so many things, right? <laughs> yeah. so, so many things. What are some, like, if you were going to tell teachers, like, this is where I would start, you know, um, just give some real practical, like, cause again, I, I don't want, I know one of the things uh, you mentioned in your book was also about like, um, choice and fatigue with making decisions, right? And and just that sort of, um, you can get paralyzed, right? You can get paralyzed with being, with there having to be so much to do. And of course, it, it you know, your entry point kind of depends on where you're at. But do you have any sort of just, just general tips for teachers of, you know, if you really want to start thinking about this, maybe start here? What would you guys say to that? 
Well, I think, you know, what a lot of people have found really um, something that captures the moment for them, um, towards the start of the book, there's an urgent, important matrix. Um, and a lot of people have, have grabbed onto that and gone, that, that actually really helps me find a place to start. So as you go through that process of thinking about dis- different aspects of your work, thinking about, is it urgent? Is it important? Is it urgent and important? Um, it really helps you think about what do I need right now in my work? So, um, and, you know, it changes from year to year, semester to semester. You know, last year when we were, you know, still editing and revising the book, for me, the priority was the burnout and the stress. You know, we were going in and out of lockdowns and all the craziness. And and so that was my priority at the time. Whereas this year, uh, you know, going through the urgent and important matrix while talking to people, I've I've found over and over again that time is my priority this year and I think going through that process of just thinking about different elements about what is feeling important and urgent in this moment in your work has has really helped a lot of people figure out a place to start for sure. I think that's great because again I think burnout comes from feeling like everything is urgent and everything is important or equally so right and it's not it may all be important but it's not maybe all equally important or right now. So I think that's great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And one of the things too, just kind of stemming off of what Christine just said, um, once you've worked through and like thought through that list of priorities, because we give some examples in the book that you can sort out, um, you can just pick a chapter in the book. Like you don't have to, it's not a like you have to sit down and read the whole book to like get the whole deal. You can really just read the, the intro or like how to use the book. Like how might I grab some ideas from here and use it with people or myself or like what's my starting point so but the point is like we do hope that people grab onto something and like whatever's the comfortable the comfortable place right now right and that might be to clean off your desk so start there and because like we know that we look at it every day and maybe that's the thing that's you know you've been thinking about it so maybe that's just where you start maybe it is something more um, instructional. So then that's the chapter you gravitate to, to just look through some of those strategies. But there, we know there's an entry point for everybody, right? So um, it's not about like everybody's on the journey at the same time. No, not at all. Everybody has their entry point, just like our students. Everybody's got their entry point. Everybody's going to have their way of doing things. And that's something that we want to celebrate because the point is you're on the journey, right? Like you're doing this and you're thinking about it. And, and then once you start to see like, oh, you know what? I'm not worrying about this thing that used to bother me now because I actually took care of it. It was pretty quick. Okay. Let me try the next thing now. What can I, or who can I talk to about this now to see if they want to try it? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just, just find a spot, whatever makes best sense. Probably that priority, the urgent, um, important matrix is going to be the, the starting point. And then go from there and celebrate the successes for sure. Yeah. Oh, I just love that. Again, I, what I really appreciated was that process because again, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. You can follow that process and, you yeah. know, whether it's, you know, I know I love curriculum. I love lesson planning. Like, I think when I was in the classroom, I liked planning the lesson more than I like giving it sometimes. Like that was <laughs> yeah. my creative, like yeah. that was my creative energy. I loved it. Right. But I, that could I could go down rabbit holes on Pinterest and then you're looking at all these other plans and wow, that one's way better than the one I'm doing. I better kick it up a notch. And, you know, like that was my, even though it's something I loved, that was maybe my, where I would get spinning and then I'm spending Mm -hmm. on time and energy and all of the stuff on things that are not focusing on what's the important part. Again, what my content is, what my students need to know and be able to do and all of that. So whether it's curriculum planning or like, I I know I just talked to a teacher that um, was talking about her Google Drive is a disaster because it's not just physical mess, right? I mean, like digital mess is a thing. I mean, it is definitely a thing. And she's like, I have this great, I have exactly what I need but where is it? Right. And trying to visit, you know, wasting time and frustration, trying to find it. And then she said, I give up. And then I recreate something I've already have because I couldn't find it. Right. So I'm like, yeah, I, I I get it. So that might be that entry point, right. It might be, um, you know, where you start saying, 
asking those questions and going down that little funnel to really, do I need, literally, if I looked at my Google Drive, I probably have, well, I have four Google Drives, first of all, do I need four, <laughs> right? Yeah, and then I have like 50, uh, you know, folders that are, you know, super specific. And then is that yeah. really what is needed, right? So mm-hmm, yeah. I think, you know, deciding what will help you, you know, and what will, again, meet your specific needs, right, for what yeah. you need. So I think yeah. that's fantastic. Awesome. All right. Well, I have one more question before we go. And that is at the end of all of my uh, podcasts, I, 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 I love this podcast because I love talking to people about just things that I'm exploring. So this has been just a treat. I appreciate it. Um, and so I asked them if you could sit down and have a cup of coffee with somebody, it doesn't matter who about something I've been having, I've had the greatest answers. Like people are like Michelle Obama and somebody else is like my neighbor down the street, you know, it doesn't matter. Like whatever, <laughs> teaching, not teaching. Um, you know, what, what would you like to sit down and kind of just process or talk about with somebody? Um, you know, who would it be and what would you want to talk about? Who wants to go first? <laughs> um, You're like, not it. me, not me. <laughs> well, uh, to be honest with you, I know this is probably going to sound a little bit trite, but the first response that came into my head was Tammy. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we have not, we've like, we haven't seen each other in, in quite a few years now. And through the whole process of writing the book and everything that's happened since we have been in the same country for a week. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. This is I physical would, sit down and have coffee. So that's yeah, a great I would answer. Love to sit down and have a coffee with Tammy. Oh, yes. That's awesome. Yes. No, I love that. And similar answer, actually. I just have this amazing network of people that I converse with pretty often. Christine is one of them. And I've, you know, you've you've got your close PLN and those are the people Mm -hmm. that I just love spending my time with. And we just, we talk about, you know, education and personal stuff and traveling and just all the things. And that's just what I enjoy the most is just sitting together and sometimes not even talking about anything. Like we can just be like sitting together and like working side by side or like reading beside each other. It's just the presence of someone that I appreciate. And yeah. So yeah, if I can just have my little table set up (laughs) of my people. Yeah, (laughs) You know, it's so true because I think uh, and this is a side note, but Zoom is great. You know, this is be, can be great. You wouldn't be able to connect as easily otherwise, but you do miss that just side by side working with someone and not yeah. having to fill space. Like it'd be really awkward if we just kind of sat here and you know weren't like constantly talking, right? So I think that is true. You miss that sort of thing. So, well, it doesn't hurt that. Are you guys going to have coffee in the Netherlands or are you going to have it in Hawaii or you can come to Florida right in the middle, right? And you can have coffee. Yeah. Crossing borders is a little stressful right now. So I'm like, no kidding. Yeah. hopefully soon that that will loosen up a little bit. and Yeah, yeah. someday. But I don't care where it is. I don't care I, as long as I see her. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you both so much. This has been a lot of fun. I really do um, appreciate the what you've put out there in the world and out there in education. And I think it is really ta- it tapped into something that I've been really feeling is extremely important. And I think others as well. So thank you and best of luck. And it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much, Michelle. joining us today in the Language Lounge. If you like what you've heard, please hit that subscribe button to be notified of new episodes. And we'd appreciate it if you'd leave us a review. I'd like to hear what you thought about today's episode. You can reach me on Twitter at at LangLoungePod or send me an email at podcast at wayside publishing.com. Thanks for listening.